The Free for All Roundtable. Round two. On the roundtable, Bob Reed is here, principal at BroadwayStrategy.com, the man behind touchdowns and fumbles, heard on Jerry Agar's show on Fridays. Lindsay Broadhead, chief communications officer for the city of Toronto. And Sabrina Nanji is back from Queen's Park Observer. Uh, good morning to you all. And actually, Sabrina, I just wanted to start with a sidebar for you, and that would be um, uh, Bonnie Crombie, Mike Schreiner, Merritt Stiles all met with the press yesterday, so did the premier. But I wonder what kind of a tone was set? How did people, what was the measure of those leaders as they got back to business? Yeah, I mean, it definitely felt like the first day of school at, at Queen's Park. Uh, you, uh, I guess for the Conservatives and the Ford government, it's all about turning the channel on, you know, a year of policy backtracks and political fiascos, namely the Green Belt. Uh, the NDP is, is not about to let uh, the public forget about these things as much as the Ford government would like that. So they were, you know, raring to go in question period and, and holding the Ford government to account. They started off with that wage capping Bill 124 and tied it to all the uh, staffing problems that we're seeing in healthcare in particular. Uh, Bonnie Crombie, new liberal leader, I would say, had a little bit of trouble uh, giving a straight answer on her stance on the carbon tax, something that uh, the PCs have wedged her on. They're calling her the queen of carbon tax. She says she's still wanting to um, consult on that. And I think Green leader Mike Schreiner is feeling pretty good. He's managed to double his caucus from one to two. <laughs> it's historic for the Greens. Um, but they, they continue to punch above their weight. And uh, that big omnibus bill we saw from the Ford government, you know, politically charged. I thought Schreiner, you know, won the line of the day by saying it's called instead of the Get It Done Act, the Get It Done Wrong Act. So <laughs> never a dull moment at Queen's Park. Yeah, you must have become a little exasperated after a while, though, with all of the plays. Bonnie Crombie called it the Getting It Undone Act. <laughs> I'll never get tired of that stuff. Okay. Uh, let's start with uh, parking fines. Jennifer McKelvey, the deputy mayor, was here to talk about this. And I don't even know if it's necessarily a debatable because I don't know that anybody wants to go all libertarian that we shouldn't have parking fines or that we shouldn't raise them. Let me start with Bob Reed. Yeah, you won't get a counter-argument from me. Uh, I think it's entirely Oops, hold appropriate. Hold on a sec. We had a bad line here. Let's let's try to fix that. And in the meantime, I'll go to Lindsay Broadhead. And worth bearing in mind, you don't speak on behalf of the city when you appear here. You're here to offer your analysis. True. Although I, I think I'm always having to speak on behalf of the city, truthfully. But um, yeah, this is one of those things where we have congestion, right? We need people to uh, get off the roads if they're parking in a spot that we uh, we don't want them in. And clearly the current fine isn't deterrent, right? We, we need something that actually gives people pause uh, and and gets them to question whether they should be in the spot or not. So I, I think it's a good move. The council will ultimately decide, but it, I haven't heard any strong counter arguments yet. That's for sure. Sabrina and Angie, one of the interesting things about uh, punishing fines is while the city gets money out of issuing tickets, if we raise the ticket price so high, people are actually going to behave themselves and that income dries up. Yeah, and I think that's key here that this would serve as a deterrent. I mean, obviously you might brush off a $30 fine and take a risk and just, you know, park illegally and run into to run your quick errand or something, but if it's 75 bucks that's a, another story, right? I think the key thing here for the city is that we need proper enforcement too. Um, you know, the estimates say that the bigger fines would put another 62 million in city coffers, which of course, you know, cash strap cash strap Toronto needs, but that's based on tickets issued and city staff are saying it would actually be more like 40 to 50 million. So I kind 
kind of wonder if that's an enforcement thing. I would kind of like to see that beefed up along with with higher fines. Yeah, Bob Reed, I'd like to see more people being caught, and I don't mind the uh, cost of being caught going up. But when somebody does something like park a car or a truck in a bike lane, it's beyond annoying. Yeah, hang them high for that stuff, I say. I, uh, I, I shed no tears for people who are so entitled that they will blatantly park where they're not supposed to under a circumstance that is going to affect everybody else on the road. I mean, it's it's one thing if you're, you know, you're in street parking that is, uh, it's, it's, in, it's in effect, you know, during hours where it's not affecting anything and you're, you haven't paid or you expire. That's one thing. Yeah, Bob, we've still got this audio problem. I'm sorry to say, maybe we can get you on the phone because I, I know from experience what it's like to listen to a bad line and a line going wobbly. And I hear a lot of hosts trying to be very, very polite about it and let people go. But I also know that I changed the channel. So uh, hopefully we can get Bob Reed on the phone. Meanwhile, listen, let's uh, move on to, uh, well, speaking of parking violations, uh, ridiculous rules that seem to have allowed somebody to park a motor home on Gerard Street for, you know, one person who'd read another analysis said, actually, this has been going on for years. So uh, Sabrina Nanji, I'll start with you. You're not supposed to park a motorhome, but she has one of those disability things on the dashboard. Yeah, I think I'm going to steal Bob Bob's line about entitlement here because it, it kind of makes you think like the nerve of of this person, Beth Beth Clinton, the owner of the vehicle. And and I don't really buy this line that, you know, because you have an accessibility pass, it's okay because you could be blocking the space for someone else with a disability that needs to use that spot. Um you're you're taking that away from others. I mean, I I would say the silver lining here might be that she has sort of highlighted and underscored like a, a Kafka-esque policy from City Hall that should definitely be looked at. I mean, do we need to amend our bylaws to clarify that vehicles with accessibility passes need to be moved to a whole other parking space after 24 hours, not just, you know, wiggling it around a little bit. So thanks, Beth. Yeah, Bob Reed, I mean, one of the other considerations would be, I have to think that this thing takes up maybe three parking spaces. And if she's got one of those disability things, she doesn't have to pay either. This shouldn't be that complicated. I mean, really, uh, she's gaming the system. It's obvious. It's apparent to the area residents. It should be apparent to parking enforcement. And I'm with those who say, tow her out of there, uh, write up the fines. And then if she wants to go to court and plead that somehow she's not gaming the system, she's not playing fast and loose with the rules, then she can make that argument for a judge. Okay. Lindsay Broadhead, your thoughts. Yeah, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we give people um, passes because of disabilities and that's needed and good. And we need to keep that. But it's also such a clear indication to me about, um, you know, we critique City Hall uh, just to defend my, uh, my colleagues for a second around all the uh, laborious rules. But this is why, right? Um, there are rules in place and we should not have to take it to council, get it to vote, use all those staff hours. Let's just use common sense. Um, and this person should be penalized and the, uh, the vehicle should be towed. It's, it's ridiculous. The Arrive Can scandal seems to be heating up on two different fronts. Yesterday, the prime minister did very little to tamp things down. He was speaking in Vancouver. And then the conservative said the two people who run this company that was contracted to produce the 
Arrive Can app have got to testify or we're basically going to have them arrested. Uh, Bob Reed, you're a comms guy. This doesn't work terribly well for the government or the Liberals. No, it doesn't at all, because it's an absolute outrage, uh, pretty universally. Anybody who hears this story is not only, uh, you know, baffled as, as to how the costs could have gotten so out of control that it could have skyrocketed with so seemingly little oversight. It's not just astonishing, it's absolutely infuri- infuriating. So anything less than uh, tough, decisive, quick action on the part of the feds is not going to play well for them. Lindsay Broadhead, your thoughts? Well, I mean, John, I think even mid-COVID, we were talking about Arrive Can and kind of all scratching our heads um, going, what what is happening, right? Like other countries were getting this done uh, and the tech existed. So I never understood. I don't think anyone ever understood why it just kept kind of trudging on and never getting done. So for all of us, I think it's just why did they keep throwing money at this project? Um, politically, this has a long tail um, and it's it's going to be a, a bit of an albatross, I think, around the Liberals. Yeah, Sabrina Lindsay makes a great point, which is that we made everything from whole cloth when we probably could have acquired something from somebody else and not wasted $60 million. Yeah, and I think especially with how things were at the height of the pandemic, the public was probably a bit more forgiving in some of these programs, uh, you know, maybe not being rolled out in the, in the cleanest way. But this ArriveCan app, it's just been a steady drip of like shocking details about how this process went about. And while I don't necessarily think it's going to be the ballot box issue that, you know, when whenever we do go to the polls, uh voters will be saying, you know, I'm really upset about how much that Arrive Can app costs. But I do think that if there's a steady, continuous drip of information, I mean, obviously the RCMP is looking into this, the border services, there's still so many questions around it. And if there is more, you know, scandalous details coming out, it could just, you know, add to the pile that the Trudeau government has mismanaged taxpayer dollars. And that's something the federal conservatives and Pierre Polyev have really been hammering hard on. And and just look, they're doing so well in the polls. So Obviously, this has the potential to be damaging. Really interesting feature today. The headline is, is the Canadian dream broken? It's about the immigrant experience. And for most people, it's been like a couple around the corner who run a tailor shop in my neighborhood. Um, She was actually a doctor uh, back in the home country. They came here. They raised two sons. One of them is, I think, a doctor, and the other one is a business professional. However, the new experience seems to be that a lot of second-generation people, immigrants, or the children of newcomers are not doing as well as non-immigrant peers. So, uh, Sabrina and Angie, I'll start with you on this one. Effectively, they're not making the same money and the dream seems to be on the fade. Yeah, I have a personal connection to this story. I'm the daughter of immigrants. Uh, My dad's a mailman. My mom does baking at a cafe. And, you know, they really pushed me in school to to study my butt off. Uh, I hope they're proud of me now. But, uh, you know, I I do think this this experience about how things are getting worse, not only for, you know, the second generation Canadians, it's just reflective of 
across the board, this bleak feeling that a lot of people in this country is having. I mean, for millennials, which I'm also a part of that group, you know, we are one of those generations that's worse off than our parents were across the board. So this is just a depressing story. But again, you know, throw it on the pile. Yeah, Bob Reed, I have a a theory, which is that uh, everybody's so glum about the economy, even though the indicators are all very good, because everybody's eyes have been open and they're suddenly realizing that the, the economy sucked the way it was rigged against them it has for decades but back to the immigrant experience yeah, I'm, uh, I'm I'm with Sabrina. This this is uh, you know it's it, it's concerning if there are certain segments where the impacts the negative impacts are are really strong. And when you parse through the numbers and the demographics, there are some segments uh, who who do significantly or are doing significantly worse than others. So that's that's naturally a concern. But as Sabrina said, when when you take it, you know, when when you take the longer view of this. Um, the dream's broken kind of across the board, and, and we're seeing this on a generational level now like hadn't been seen. Up until uh, this last generation, uh, every generation did better than the one before, and suddenly, or for the first time, that started to turn around. Now we're seeing it, uh, we're seeing it echo further down. So that's the real concern, that uh, across the board, uh, things just aren't as good. You can't get as far ahead as you used to be able to. Thank you all. That's our time. Good to have you this morning. Bob Reed, Lindsay Broadhead, and Sabrina Nanji. And don't forget, Sabrina Nanji, if you just Google Queen's Park Observer, you can see the portal for her newsletter, which she publishes every morning. And uh, Newstalk 1010 listeners can get a discount just for being Newstalk 1010 listeners. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845, weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.